Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. You got a Bible? You got a phone? I mean, I don't care. Uh, You got a digital thing? If you got one of those, hold it up and say, this is... Well, hold it up real high. Don't be ashamed of it. This is the Word of God. How many of you know that's the Word of God? Oh, don't be, hold it up. This is the Word of God. Amen? And God is who He says He is, and He can do what He says He can do, and you are who He says you are, and you can do what He says you can do. Amen? Why? Because my Bible tells me so. Look at your name and say, well, I've got one. You should have one. Amen? Uh, I'm going to preach out of the Bible. Not out of Reader's Digest. I'm going to preach out of the Bible. I'm going to go line by line this morning. Uh, first service, I wasn't very excitable because I'm going to try to go in an exegesis way, just line by line. I've been telling you all year this year out of Ephesians 1.19 that God wants to do exceedingly great, powerful things in your life. Amen. And so then from uh, Lent to Easter, I've been trying to teach about how it's not enough just to confess the Christ, but you need to be crucified with the Christ. It's not enough to be crucified with the Christ, but Christ needs to be in you, forming you in his likeness and his image. And so I've been talking to you about the power of the Christ, the anointed one, that anointing that destroys yokes, moves mountains, breaks barriers, uh, removes the limitations in your life. And, and I want to continue in that vein. And, but I'm kind of interrupting what I had intended here. Uh, I had a third sermon ready to go. And this week, the Lord began to speak to me one morning out of John's gospel, the fourth chapter. So John's gospel, the fourth chapter. Uh, most of you have heard the story. It's about the woman at the well. Anybody in here uh, heard that story, the woman at the well? Well, I want to remind you to, to pretend it's your first time. I want you to act like it's your first time to hear the story. Uh, last time, Annie and I went to a movie, and it was a long time ago. We don't go to movies uh, very often, not because we are against movies, but Annie's ADD, and so she won't sit still. And, and it's true. I'm not even, this is all true. ADD, so at home, we watch movies. Can I tell you that DVR uh, has saved our marriage? <laughs> I, I'm serious. It saved our marriage. And uh, so at the last time I remember we went to a movie, I can't even remember what it was, and something was taking place, and it was one of those action things, you know, and this thing was going to come by, and, and Annie shouts out, duck, fool, duck! It's the other reason we watch them at home. The other reason we watch them at home, because she just shouts it out, because she saw what was coming. And when she saw what was coming, she was telling that guy, duck! Never mind. I want you to pretend like you've never seen this movie before. I want you to pretend like that you've never read this before because I'm going to do some things in it that I really don't think very many people have thought about. John chapter 4 verse 1, Therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard what Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Those three verses right there are so interesting because everywhere Jesus goes he'll upset the religious people. Everywhere Jesus goes throughout his three and a half years of ministry, he was always upsetting religious folk. And when he heard they were all upset about how he was baptizing people and doing things, he he left Judea, he left the area around Jerusalem, and he took off and headed north back towards Galilee. 
But between what is in the southern part of the country and the northern part of the country is this area called Samaria. And the Jews hate the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hate the Jews. And so most Jew, when they start north or south, they go around Samaria. They don't go through that area. So they, they walk about six, eight hours around. And you really could go right straight through it in two or three hours. And, and so he departs again because he realizes he's upset the establishment. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. It's interesting. You never have to do anything. Look at your neighbors. You don't have to. You don't have to do that. He could have gone around like everybody else. Uh, he didn't have to do anything. He, he was doing what the Father had told him to do. And, and so he, he has to go through there. Have you ever had anything you had to go through? Oh, nobody. There's some stuff I feel like I had to go through. I, I wished I didn't have to go through it, but I had to go through it. It, it, it really didn't feel like I had a choice. I, I mean, how many have gone through some area of your life that you didn't want to go through, but you... I didn't like 2020, but it appears like we had to go through it. That we had to pass through some area, Samaria, some area of our lives that, that you can't ignore them. You got to deal with them, right? Have you ever had just look at something and say, I don't like it, but I got to deal with it. I, I, can't, I can't put this off anymore. I've walked around it long enough. Have you ever just walked around something? You know, most of the times we walk around what God wants us to walk through. And sometimes you just got to pass through some things and you got to face some hurts and face some disappointments and face some bitterness. And, and you just, I might ask some of you the question, what is it you're walking around that you need to work through? What is that area here in Lent that, that, that if, you'd, if you'd face it and walk through it, God would break its control off of your life. But if you never stand up to it and face it, it will continue to control you from the dark side. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Say Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Anybody remember Jacob? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, the son with the coat of many colors. Anybody doing this? And son of favor, had coat of many colors, and his other brothers got mad, threw him in a pit, sold him. Everybody know the story. So he came to Jacob's well, but it was the well that he gave to Joseph, his favorite son. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired. Say tired. Jesus was tired. Wow, I can't imagine. As he was from the journey and sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Tired. Tired. Have you ever been tired? Have you ever met anybody in the last month or they're just tired of this stuff? Everywhere I go, I ask somebody, how are they doing? They say, we're tired. And you never know quite what that means. They might be tired of a mask. They might be tired of a president. They might be tired of their wife. They have been working at home together long enough that, no. And maybe they're tired of teaching their kids, and they've decided that they're stupid too. They're just tired. Have you, have you, have you been around these people? Okay, look to your left. Now, uh, he, he was tired. I don't think he was tired from walking six hours. I think he was tired after all these things he had been facing. I, I don't think it was just tired from that day. I think it was tired from a lot of days. I mean, I think it's that tired that kind of grows on you and ebbs at you. It's systematic. It's been there a while, right? And, and I want you to know that 
I don't really believe God can be tired like you can be tired. Isaiah chapter 48, 40, verse 28 says, Do you not know, have you not heard, that the God is everlasting, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow weary or tired? And he has understanding no one can fathom, and yet Jesus is tired. I, I think when you see this word, he's tired as he sits at this well of Samaria, that he's tired in a different way than what we think of, and we're exhausted. I think he's sick and tired of the division that's gone on between Samaritans and Jews. I think he's sick and tired of the division that goes on in the church. I think he's sick and tired of the division that goes on in our lives and marriages. I think he's sick and tired of people being separated from their father and from each other. I think he's grown weary with generational issues that should have been solved generations ago. And he sits down at a generational location, Jacob's well, and he's tired. I don't believe it was about that day. I don't believe it was just about those years. I believe he's there to break barriers that have held people in bondage for a very long time. I believe he's there as the Christ to remove the burdens, to lift the yokes, to move the mountains. I believe he's there to settle issues. I believe he's there because he's saying, I've put up with the division. I've put up with the separation long enough. I believe that Christ has come through 41 generations to come to this spot in this location to make a very significant point. I don't believe that God does anything by accident. I don't believe he stumbles onto Jacob's well. I think he knew exactly where he was going. I think he knew the exact story about that well. I don't think that this woman just happened to buy. I think he knew this woman and knew she was going to be right there at 12 o'clock because she was trying to avoid the people in town who would make jeers at her. I think he knew that she had been putting up and by being ostracized for years. I think he knew she was tired of trying to find love in all the wrong places. I think he knows whatever you're traveling through and wherever you're going specifically. I think he knows every hair on your head. I think he knows every pain in your heart. I think he knows exactly how you feel this morning. I think he's aware of every jot and tittle that's ever been written. I think today he comes specifically to this place and sits down. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? This is so interesting to me. Will you give me a drink? She came with a bucket, a jar of water to get a drink and before she can get her water, the one who is living water is asking her for a drink. First of all, you do know that when God asks something for you, it's not because he needs it. If he's asking something from you, it's because in your giving of that something, you begin a process of your own restoration. Oh, I could stop for a moment and back up. If he asks you to tithe, it's not because he needs your money. 
It's not because the church needs your money. It's because it's in the giving that something starts that's going to fulfill something in your life that you really don't understand. And before she can reach for the water of the well, the one sitting on the outside of the well, who is himself the well, ask her for water. Now the other little thing that's interesting at this moment is the disciples are AWOL. These 12 men that have followed him around are AWOL. The Bible says they're hungry and they're looking for a happy meal. It's interesting to me how many times the disciples are AWOL. They're nowhere to be found. Jesus is going someplace to sit down. You'd thought by now that they would have understood Jesus was doing things because the Father told him to do them, and you don't want to miss it. But they're going to miss this because they're looking for a hamburger. I wonder what we miss because we're looking for a hamburger. Because we have our physical needs so in our front. She brought a bucket, but he asked her. So funny, this fact that he would begin to ask her for something as he sits there and waits. The idea that God would sit down at your place of need. I mean, if you read the Bible, you find out the only time that God rested was on the seventh day. And he's the seventh man she's encountered. I I could get numerical on you. So he sits down and he waits at the place of your need. You do understand that God is in front of you. That God has already arrived at that place of your greatest need. And he sits there waiting for you to come to the place where you recognize that only Jesus can meet my need. Can I tell you, he's waiting for every one of you to acknowledge that you cannot do it on your own. He's waiting for you to acknowledge that there is someone greater than yourself. And he's saying, come unto me, all ye who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. I could stop right here and say to this room and to you, many of you have come to that place. And there's no need to go any further than to recognize that Christ has come to your greatest place of need. And he is saying, come to me and I'll give you rest. Because just as he's going to meet the need of this woman, not with water, he'll meet your need. Not in the way you expect. Because he'll always do the unexpected. That's what makes it so exciting to walk with Jesus. He's going to reveal himself this morning to this woman, not the way he would reveal himself to Peter by walking on the water, but by giving her living water inside her own soul. It's a tremendous story here, but there's so much to it that as I began to meditate upon it this week, I realized I have looked at people all of my life and said, just sit down. Just be still and know. It's very hard for Americans in particular. It's very hard because we're told to go accomplish things. We're told that we can do it. We're coached. We're told that if you just do... 
And Jesus comes and says, be still and know. It's hard for us to take the anxiety and the worry of 2020 and just sit down in it and breathe in and breathe out and be still and trust. It's hard. But he sits there and waits for her to come because he's about to do stuff exceedingly abundantly above all that she could ask or think. And she doesn't fail the scene. I'm a Samaritan woman. What are you doing talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You are black. And I am white. You are Democrat. And I am Republican. You are a Christian. And I am a Muslim. Interesting how John 4 might have real world application. You work for Cox. You work for Ideatech. It's a big conversation. You drive a Chevy. I drive a Ford. I shave my head. You have a ponytail. I mean, this has real world. What do you do? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And you're asking me? The sentence there says, we have no dealings with one another. I think he's tired of that. I think he's exhausted with that conversation. And he answered her and said, if you understood the gift that was being offered to you and the God who is asking you. You would ask of him and he would give unto you living water. You see, so many times we miss the moment discussing the things of our sociological culture and we miss, hey, this is Jesus. This is Christ. And we miss it because we're just echoing Sir, you have nothing to draw from. I mean, she tell, he tells her, if you knew, you would ask, and she's snarky right back. You don't even have a bucket. Have any of you ever heard God say something to you, and then you start asking God how he was going to do that? You know how smart it is to ask God how he's going to do something? If God's going to do a miracle for you, if he gave you a promise, you might just want to shut up and let him do it. Because he doesn't have to explain to you how he's going to heal you. He doesn't have to explain to you how he's going to fix your marriage. He doesn't have to explain to you, I mean, I'm going to give you living water. Just how are you going to do that? You know how many people I know are going, well, just how are you going to do that? How are you going to change my life? How are you, really, I'd give my life to you, but I don't think you have the ability to help me. That'll sink in somewhere. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and who drank from it himself as did his sons and his flocks? God, who do you think you are? We have this and we've done that and here you are in my life acting like you can do something that my Apple phone can't. You'll get it in a minute. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of living water. I mean, here is Jesus sitting at a well and saying, I can put a well in you. Look at your neighbor and say, he can put the source in you. He can absolutely take the source of something and put the source in you. <coughs> so that every need you ever need again is on the inside of you. That the entire plan of God is not simply to be with you, but to put himself in you so that from this moment on you carry your resources Man, that is abundantly beyond anything I could ask or think. To think that God would say, you never have to keep coming back to me. You just have to look inwardly because I'm going to be with you to meet all of your needs. I, I can see some of you religious people and that cannot. Man, I knew this was a charismatic church. I told you he was a quack and we shouldn't have been. <laughs> I'm reading the Bible. She came to Jacob's well. In order to discover that there was a well on the inside. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. They weren't even caught. They weren't even thinking about Samaria. They were just thinking gender. You're talking to a woman. We don't think women. How many women were here yesterday a little bit? And you listened to ladies talk. How many, how many think this is a crazy we still are dealing with the fact that, listen, there's churches here in town don't think women can preach. And half of you wouldn't even be saved if a woman couldn't pray. I mean, they returned, they were surprised. Look at your neighbor and go, surprise. He'll use something that you won't think he can use in order to do something that you didn't even know needed to be done. Surprise. And then she, leaving her water jar, goes back into town. And this woman, who we don't think can preach, goes back in town and becomes the first evangelist of Samaria. I mean, women can't preach, but she went and got the whole town to recognize the Christ as king. Listen to me, you Baptist. Listen to me, you Roman Catholics. Jesus solved this in John chapter 4. I wonder how much the body of Christ has been robbed for 2,000 years by generational traditions that Christ resolved in John chapter 4. Well, if we've been ignorant of John chapter 4, I wonder what else we've been ignorant of. I wonder what else we've been robbed of because we've just been preaching the party line rather than trying to understand what it is God's really doing. He's showing up in John 4 to break barriers. He's showing up in John 4 to remove limitations. He's showing up to say this division between Samaritans and Jews has got to go. He's showing up to show us that women are important. He's showing... I mean, if I'm sitting in this room this morning and I'm a woman, I'm thinking, I'm writing that verse down. And it isn't even verse. It's an entire story. So that when those religious people lift something out of context, out of another story, you can take them back to this story and say, now look, you don't know what you're talking about. 
Am I making any sense to anybody here? If, I, if you're female, you ought to be going, wow, this should be a great Mother's Day sermon. I could come back and just repeat this sermon on Mother's Day, and you could bring all the misogynistic men, and we Ain't nobody saying nothing. They ain't even. She went into town and said, come and see the man that told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of town and made their way for him. No one saw this coming. You know, while they were off looking for hamburgers, he was looking for a harvest. While they were off trying to feed themselves with a happy meal, he was over here trying to open up a harvest. So many times the church gets caught up in what about the happy meal, and God's trying to reap a harvest. Can I tell you something about 2020? Most everybody in 2020 has been trying to figure out how to survive, and God's trying to figure out how to thrive and bring a harvest into the kingdom of God. Hmm. They didn't see this coming. In the meantime, his disciples were urging him to eat the hamburger, and he said to them, I have food which you know not of. They still didn't get it. They, they go, who, who fed him something? Which of you snuck him food? They're, they're having a conversation that has nothing to do with what's going on. Have you, have, you, have you noticed how many people are having conversations about something that has nothing to do with what's really going on in the world around us? Who gave, did you sneak him a Spangles? We were going for McDonald's. They're, they're caught up in their own. A lot of the church is caught up in its own. Unexpected. Surprises. Things you... Can I tell you that what most people call disruptions, I actually believe are divine interruptions of the Spirit of God to do something that needed to be done that we had been walking around for a very long time. And that God brings us into this place to work on a much different script than the one we've been directing in our own lives. And that even at this moment in 2021, God is actually working on a different script than the one that you've been reading. This woman had no clue that this was not just another man. She had no clue that he was going to tell her about herself. She had no clue that as she came to the well, the real well was already on the inside of her that she already had everything she needed. She came with expectations of drawing water from Jacob's well, and the one that authored Jacob was there to give her her own well. It really was unexpected. Have you ever lived through one of those moments where God did the unexpected? Listen, I've watched the unexpected through 2020. I've watched as God brought... Don back to life. I've watched as Emily was here this morning. You remember Emily that got hit by the train several months ago? Sat in the coma for like three weeks. Ended up in Nebraska. Had to learn to walk. She was in church in first service. Wow. I, I can tell you about Robbie and Angie's daughter. They thought was going to die in Topeka. Those are just the ones that are while everybody else was up here about what was going on in 2020, all I could think about was the miracles God was working in the lives of people that are right here in this room, let alone anywhere else. See, God will do the unexpected, and most people will miss it because they weren't expecting it. Exceedingly abundant and beyond all you could ask or think, this woman came to fill a jar, and God filled her. 
So he came to this town called Sychar, this plot of ground that was Jacob's well that he had given to Joseph. I want to suggest to you that as powerful as the story of the woman at the well is, that it has generational connections. As powerful, as wonderful as that story is, I, I, want, I want you to understand that Jesus didn't just show up in Samaria at Sychar at this well. That there is, there is a significant reality to why he did what he did at this location. And, and that it has generational stories. That this plot of ground that was given to Jacob, say with me, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob would become Israel, you remember? And Jacob has 12 sons, you remember? They would become the 12 tribes of Israel. But Jacob's favorite son was a man by the name of Joseph who had the dream and the coat of many colors. And his 11 brothers took him and threw him into a pit. And he got sold into Potiphar's house. And then she lied to him about sexual advances. And he gets thrown into prison. And then he interprets dreams for them. And they forget about him. But when the Pharaoh has a dream, they remember. And he tells Pharaoh his dream. Anybody with me so far? It's the story of the Old Testament. I've never heard that story. Read the book. It's good. And, and now all of a sudden Joseph's the prime minister and he helps Egypt to put a whole bunch of food in storage because there was a famine coming. Right? Anybody here? And so he goes to Jacob's well that Jacob gave to Joseph. Now Joseph was sold into slavery and they go back and they tell Jacob that Listen, Joseph, your favorite son is dead. And the Bible says that Jacob said, I might as well die. Because my favorite son is dead, I might as well die. And for 22 years, Jacob believed that Joseph was dead. How many of you believe something's dead? How many of you have grown cynical? Grown frustrated with the government? with doctors, with your husband, with yourself. You've just thrown the dream out because for 22 years, you, you, it just, you've been going to that well for years and they've made fun of you. And there's this generational thing. Your meemaw was like that. Your mama was like that. So you must be like that. I was from the wrong side of the tracks. I must just be that nothing's ever going to change. I, I've had so many people tell me in six months, Kent, it's always been that way and it's always going to be that way and nothing's ever going to change. You sound like Jacob. Just, 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 it's just, can I tell you something? Jesus knows how to come through 42 generations Step up to that well where that son had been dead 22 years and look at this woman and say, I'm here to change things. I'm here to do the unexpected. I'm here to turn it around. I'm here to alter the way it's been. I'm here to step in the middle of generational curses and put them to death. 
I'm here to break the way it's always been in your family. I'm here to take those attitudes and those, listen, pardon me, addictions and stuff and fights and divisions and divorces. I'm here to step into generational curses that have held you by the neck for 42 generations, and I'm here to change it. And I've come to Jacob's well, to Joseph's inheritance, to show you, woman, that I'm here to change things. I'm here to do the unexpected. I'm here in the middle of a place where no one ever thought. Jesus shows up in this place with this woman so that today we can read the reality that God shows up in unexpected places in the middle of our lives to tell us that we do not have to be bound by the curses of our forefathers. That's Christianity. That's this faith. I'm on that plot of ground and somebody in this room ought to be shouting because you're going to go free today. I'm not just preaching this morning so that you get a history lesson about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am here preaching this morning because the same word that sat on that well is in this room this morning to change your life. And on that plot of ground, in that space, with that woman, the things that have been passed down year after year after year was going to be broken. This Jacob's well with Joseph, Jacob, he wasn't even supposed to be there. His older brother Esau was supposed to have got the blessing. And somehow God fixed it to where the younger brother got the blessing from Isaac and Jacob was the leader instead of Esau. That wasn't supposed to happen. That was unexpected. God will take and do these unexpected things. You've been waiting 22 years. A well that had been given to a son who had, was thought to have been dead. Man, things are not what you think they are. Things that you thought were over are not over. Things that have been forgotten. People who've been betrayed. People who you think forgot about you. People who you think have abandoned you. God shows up in these places. Have you ever watched a movie and then just thought, oh, this is nonsense and read to change the channel? Have you ever got to that point? I hear God saying this morning, don't change the channel. The best is yet to come. Don't flip the switch. Don't give up. Don't stop. Hold on a minute. Jacob, keep the faith. You sang it this morning because God's faithful. I promised you. Jacob, don't give up. And 22 years go by and it gets worse. Have you ever been waiting and it gets worse? A famine sets in. A famine. They have no food. Are you here in the story yet? They have no, have no food in this story. She had no water. They had no food. And the famine drove Jacob to send his 11 sons into Egypt to find food. And so the sons go into Egypt to find bread, and guess what they find? The brother that they had sold into slavery. They were going for a happy meal. 
They were going for bread, but they found a brother. Can I tell you, all of you who are believing God for stuff, you've missed the mark. Because this isn't about the bread, it's about brothers and sisters and people. It isn't about you getting to express your faith in your idea. It's about the relationships that begin to exist between people that love one another. Oh, well. It's about healing the divisions that I've already tried to talk about. A famine. And they go in search of this. And when they get there, they find Joseph. And Joseph does that. You remember Joseph? He goes, oh, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. God put me here so that I could feed you and save our people. Generally, God has a bigger plan than the one you think. Generally, God's doing something behind the scenes. And while you're experiencing a famine or you're being laughed at on the way to the well or you're losing this, God's setting something up that has more to do with the next generation than it has to do with you. And God steps into this generational story and says, time's up. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to free you from this story. Just as Joseph stood up and said, God meant it for good. Paul said, I'm going to take all things and work them together for your. Look at your neighbor and say, it's all good. When it looks good, it's good. When it looks bad, it's good. No matter how it looks, it's still good. Because God's got you in mind to do good things in you and in your family. And it doesn't matter what is going on in 2020. God's going to take all of it and work it for good, contrary to all the stuff that you think you've been hearing. It's all good. Why? Because we're the chosen of God. Because we're the people of God. They go take Jacob, and he comes into Egypt, and he lays his eyes on Joseph. And in chapter 48 of Genesis, Jacob looks at Joseph and said, I never expected to see you again. But now, not only do I see you, but I see my grandchildren. God is resolving generational things here so that he can take care of generational things. Listen, you have to go free in this moment of generational curses so that your children can live in generational blessings. We have put up with this stuff long enough. We've swam through it. We've gotten caught up in it. Oh, well. I know many of you can't figure out where I've been. Listen, I, I realized God was solving generational issues in my life a long time ago so that I could bless that generation. And I ain't about to let what people think are important to deter me from what my Father has assigned me to do. Because the assignment of the Christ is to do what the Father says to do, not what public opinion says to do. I've had to go through these areas. I've had to go through these things to reveal those things that are in me that have to do with generational issues that can be broken and healed so that I can move on into. Am I preaching to myself this morning? Or has anybody else in here got the guts to admit you need help too? Yeah. 
I never expected to see your face again. But now, not only am I looking at you, but I'm, I'm looking, say now. Hey, this is unbelievable. I never expected God to raise you from the dead. I never expected this dream. He said, bring me my grandchildren. And the Bible says that he took Manasseh and Ephraim off the knees of Jacob and put the oldest one on the right and the youngest one on the left. But it says Jacob took his right hand and put it on the son on the left and his left hand and put it on the son on the right. Because the blessing was supposed to go to the oldest first and the youngest second. But the first shall be and the last shall be first and the weak shall be strong and the humble shall be saved. God comes and does the unexpected in our lives and works in ways that we would never have understood. You see, if you know the story, then you catch the reality of Sychar and Jacob and Joseph. And woman, you're free. Because God works in ways that are beyond anything you can understand. But Israel reached out his right and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, though, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And then Joseph said, May the God before my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. The angel who has delivered me from all harm. May he bless these boys. And may they be called by my name. And by the names of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And may they increase greatly more and more. My friends, Jesus is here to break those generational issues. He is here to say it doesn't have to just keep being the same old way. He is here to say to you, you don't have to live under the limitations that others have placed on you. You don't have to continually live out of your previous past experiences. That many of you have hidden behind those issues as a victim thereof. And you do not have to have that mentality or that limitation. And that the way that God breaks those things is to bless you. To bless you in such a way that it breaks the hold and the limitation off of your life. I'm about to die, but God will be with you. And he will take you back to the land of your fathers and to you as one who is over your brothers. I give the ridge of the land I took from the Amorites with my sword and with my bow, and that is your well. <laughs> the well that came to the son that was dead. The well that came to the son that was resurrected. The well that came to the son whose children and brothers and... Woman, you've come to the right place. At the right time. 
to the right Christ, that you yourself could have the well of living water and the blessing within you. This is one of the most powerful stories. It's one of the greatest connections of breaking generational, aged issues. It's the power of the resurrection. It's the power of the reality of God. There are no more excuses. There are no more excuses to remain stuck in relationships that are destroying your life. There are no more excuses about remaining stuck in transferred generational stories that hinder you from becoming everything God's called you to be. There is no excuse today. For Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ is coming again. And Christ is here. When we break the bread and pour the wine, he says, I'm there. Christ is here to turn our lives around. Christ is here today in 2021 to turn our mourning into dancing. Are you, are you listening? This isn't just about you coming and hearing me talk. There is an anointing in this room. There's an anointing in your life for there to be great change, systematic change, for you to go free, to be liberated. Healing is just a byproduct of that. Miracles are just the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae. Christ begins to set inside of you. So much of what the world focuses on becomes so unimportant. I just need to sit with the one that came to sit with me. That he might show me those areas of my life that truly is changing. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time.